starting to get worked on. So praise the Lord. That's that update. So please continue to pray for uh, Pastor Earl and Renee and uh, the South Toledo campus as well. Candy. So a um, couple things. We got Trunk or Treat going on at South Toledo campus on the 31st. And also those who live in the Waterville White House area, we are going to make little cards up um, that are going to say something or other. And if you want to pass out candy in the neighborhood, maybe you don't want to pass out candy, but you want someone to. I got like oh, a whole bunch of kids and friends. Like I'll, I'll delegate them out somewhere. Um, <laughs> except for the little one. I might actually let him go trick-or-treating. Oh, my goodness. I kind of feel like a backslider right now. Anyway, but it's for a good, it's for a good reason, right, to share Jesus with people and to uh, let them know about the church. So uh, if you're interested in that, let me know, too. All right. We're ready. We're ready to go into the word. You guys look so awake today, so alive. I'm calling things that are not as though they are. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. Why don't you go ahead and bow your heads with me? We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Jesus, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just invite you even now in this place. Heavenly Father, you are welcome. Jesus, would you bring your word with power and with conviction? Correction where need be, encouragement where need be. Lord, would you let your word go and do what only your word can do? Would it divide the flesh from the spirit? Would you, uh, would you in increase not just our knowledge, Lord God, but our, our heart's capacity to love you more? Because it's when we love you, we desire to obey you, not of obligation, but out of relationship. God, I pray that you would move on our hearts today, Lord Jesus, that you would raise up holy men and holy women and holy young people in this place that would not be ashamed, that would not be afraid to be set apart, to be different, and God, to shine for you in a dark world that we live in. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you knew the time and place we were going to be born. And, God, it is not by accident that we are here today in this place. God, I thank you for giving us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking. And, God, that you would soften the hard places in our heart because we all have some hard places in our heart. But your spirit can soften those places. God, that your word would go deep into our heart and that it would produce fruit. God, have your way today. Let me get out of the way, and Jesus, shine, shine in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So we started a sermon series. For those of you guys who missed it last week, Pastor Josh brought the word. The sermon series is called Sidetracked. Look to your neighbor and say, don't get sidetracked. Oh, man, don't get sidetracked. I, I don't know. Uh, how many of you guys might have just a slight ADHD, you know what I'm saying? Like, squirrel, that's me. And so it's very easy to get sidetracked. And this series, we're just talking about the things of the world that sidetracked us. You know, like, God has called us to move forward. God has called us to be a people of God. But it's so easy to get sidetracked. Like, in the world that we live in today, like, how many of you guys have your idols in your pockets? Hold up, there's mine. Oh, Jesus, you got to take this from us, right? How easy is it to get sidetracked? How many of you guys read your Bible on your phone? Like, I read my Bible on my phone now, I, and it's so easy. Like, you have to turn off those other notifications. Like, I'm trying to spend time with God, and someone's texting me. You know what I mean? Like, they don't know, you know, or, or I'm trying to spend time with God, and something pops up on social media or whatever. It's so easy. I've been going back old school and busting out my leather bound, my Bible that's literally falling apart, <laughs> and uh, journaling. 
and, and really making sure that when I spend time with God, that I'm focused on God and, and his presence and not on everything else, right? Because it's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to get off course. I mean, and this is not a new thing. I think it might be even easier today with all of you know, social media and electronics and everything that comes at us. But it's not a, a new thing. Like in the Bible, the Bible talks about things that can get us off course. And we're going to dig into that. And so I feel like when I was praying about this, that the Lord told me that what we need is focus. Can you say focus? Because I don't want to just preach on all the things can sidetrack us. Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of those things. And it's different for each one of us, depending on, you know, like our personality bit. But I want to talk about how we need to focus on the Lord, because God has called us to focus. And I read this quote. It's, it's super um, cool, in my opinion. Uh, Wilston Churchill, he said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, well, drop the mic, Winston, okay. <laughs> right? Like, it's so, it's so hard to get where God has called us if we stop with every dog, uh, barking dog, I have a dog that constantly barks. So that just like literally spoke to me. <laughs> okay. And so I'm like, Lord, how can we keep our focus? And so today's message is titled, entitled, stay focused. I'm like, how can we stay focused? How can we keep our focus? And the Lord brought me to this scripture. I want to read it with you. It's Proverbs 4, 23 and 27. I'm going to read it slowly so it sinks in, and I talk fast, so this is going to be discipline for all of us, okay? The first verse, 23, you've heard this one before. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, right? Parents of teenagers, that's the verse we tell our kids. Guard your heart, right? Guard your heart. Becca was in our youth ministry back in the day. We've been preaching that forever. Guard your heart. But I love these next few verses because I believe we kind of skip out of this. We have a habit in in the Western culture to like take verses out of context and uh, not read it in its context. And this kind of teaches us in the next few verses how to guard your heart so that you can stay focused on God. It says, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk Far from your lips. My teenager said, amen. I'm waiting for y'all. Amen. Jubilee, she's always got my back. Come on, Shua. (laughs) It's like I was up way too late last night. Verse, look at that deep voice. He's a man now. Okay, verse 25. I'm going to be in so much trouble. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thoughts to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or left, but keep your foot from evil. So how do we guard our heart? By watching what comes out of our mouth. How do we guard our heart? By watching what goes into our eyes. What are we watching? What are we, by what's going into our ears? What are we feeding ourselves? This is how we guard our heart, friends. It's very hard to say, 
um, focused on God when we have so many other things that we're not even guarding the gateways. What's the Bible say? The eyes are the windows to our soul, right? We don't, we're not even guarding these things. And so it's so easy to get off course and get distracted when we don't even put guards up. We want to say we want to guard our heart, but when the Bible teaches us how to guard our heart, we don't want to do it. Oh, that's okay. And I'm not preaching legalism in here, friends. I went through that phase in the 90s, boy, okay? I'm not teaching that. But at the same time, when God brings a conviction, the Holy Spirit tells you not to do something, not to watch something, not to listen to something, not to let those, to bite that tongue. Come on, anyone else who's extroverts in here, come on, to bite that tongue. We got to do it because these are the ways that we can guard our hearts. And this is the way that we can stay keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. Now, I've had four babies, and with each one of them, I had a focal point, okay? Because when you're going through pain, and life sometimes (laughs) has pain, it's a lot easier going through it when you keep your eyes fixed on the focal point. And our focal point as Christians needs to be Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about ways to stay focused in a distracted world because we have a distracted world. We have (laughs) distractions all around us. Come on. So we want to not just talk about all the distractions around us, but how to stay focused, how to focus when it's so hard to focus. And so in my favorite teaching style, we're going to break down the word focus with an acrostic. And we're going to talk about John the Baptist because I think John the Baptist might be one of the most focused people in the Bible. So we're going to talk about John the Baptist and we're going to talk about ways how to be focused in a world full of distractions. So Jesus himself said this about John the Baptist. He said, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. (laughs) So as great as John the Baptist is, we can't use the excuse, oh, he's John the Baptist. I can't do that. Because the Bible says, I mean, John the Baptist was like the last of the Old Testament prophets, right? Now we're living in the new covenant. And it says that uh, John the Baptist was still before the cross. We're living after the cross and after the resurrection when the Bible says that, that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so we can't use that excuse that he's John the Baptist. And, and no, friends, that should inspire us. The Bible says that he's the least for, uh, compared to those who, who have this ability to, to receive Jesus in our heart. And then even more so, the Holy Spirit is our seal and signet ring of the things to come, friends. And so we need to learn to focus on Christ. And the first thing I started going there already is we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. As simple as that. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Look to your neighbor and say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix them on Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now we got to look to ourselves. Oh, help me fix my eyes on Jesus, right? It's easy to look to our neighbor and tell them what to do. It's hard to look to ourselves and say, oh, fix your eyes on Jesus, Joy. We got to get that focal point. His name is Jesus. Hebrews 12:10 or 12:2 says, "Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, some translations say the author and perfecter. I love the word pioneer because as church planners, man, it's, sometimes it's hard to go before. And that's what J John was to Jesus. He was the forerunner, the one who went before. But if we um, are pioneers, if we are following after John, following after Jesus, we have to remember to fix our eyes on him because our end point is to be with Jesus. And so we have to fix our eyes through the whole thing. See, John the Baptist, he's one of the most distinctive characters in the New Testament. Like, even looking at, I was listening to this um, stuff on YouTube yesterday, just brushing up some more, and I'm like, man, John the Baptist, even in Christian art, like, through the Renaissance and stuff, like, he's, like, pictured so often, like, He's a pretty uh, distinct character, right? He's, people know who he is. John the Baptist, uh, he had a flair for fashion, <laughs> right? He wore camel's hair and a leather belt, and his diet was locusts dipped in honey. I mean, like, he was a unique guy. He had a, a rather loud ministry. He called people to repent. But his focus or what he fixed his eyes on was Jesus. Like he came knowing it's not about me, it's about the one who comes behind me. Like that's unique. Very, very few people who are forerunners actually know how to run ahead and bring people with you. And that's what God is calling us to do. Yeah, we're supposed to, we're supposed to go ahead. We're supposed to plow, but we're supposed to bring others with us. That's what God has called us to do. When we started our church 13 years ago in South Toledo, we had this saying, this model back then that was, Eyes on the cross while fixed on the loss. Because our eyes are supposed to be on the cross and on what Jesus did for us. But we can't just, it's not just about us. we got to bring people with us. And so God is calling us to fix our eyes on him. That's what Jesus did. Unlike so many people, John the Baptist, he actually knew his mission in life. He clearly understood that he had been set apart by God, and he focused his eyes and attention on Jesus. Now, what he did was very unique. He took a Nazarite vow from birth. And I want to break down what a Nazarite vow is for those who don't know. You find this in the Old Testament. Remember, John the Baptist was like the last of the Old Testament prophets, right? And a Nazarite vow is found in number six. Number six breaks it down really good for us. I'm not going to have time to read all of it, but I encourage you go back to the word number six um, and really read what it says. But this is the cool thing about the Nazarite vow. It, it was a voluntary vow. Usually it was for just a short period of time. Matter of fact, Paul took this vow. You might read in the book of Acts of after he took a vow, he went and shaved his head because part of the Nazarite vow was growing out your hair. Both men and women were called to take this vow and it was a part of setting themselves aside. They didn't drink any kind of alcohol or wine during this time. They weren't allowed to touch dead bodies during this time. Um, even if it was a close relative died while they were taking a Nazarite vow, they couldn't touch dead bodies. You might've heard of Samson. He took the vow, right? In the Old Testament. And then you got Samuel, who also took, they took lifetime vows. But a lot of people took vows for just a period of time. And so I think that the Lord is calling us um, as a people of God to take Nazarite vows as a way of fasting um, nowadays. And so what I, I like to compare what, what they did in the uh, old days to our culture and how we can make this Nazarite vow relevant for our culture. One, abstain from certain pleasures, right? Um, they stood. They stayed away from wine. <laughs> Thanks, babe. You do my PowerPoint. You were supposed to check that. <laughs> well, well, I like to stay in my sweats, but <laughs> we're certain sweets. Okay, 
Unless going to the gym and being one of those iron people, if that's an idol, maybe you should stay away from your sweats. I don't know, okay? Alcohol, Netflix binging, to dedicate yourself more freely to God. Okay, the Nazarite vow they, they took to, to stay away from wine so that they could uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to stay away from, um, wine, to not be drunk on wine in the New Testament, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Assembly of God pastors, we've taken a covenant uh, that we would never drink. Like, you're not going to find Josh and I out on a date drinking wine. Like, I'll drink some coffee, but <laughs> I've only been doing that for a couple years. Not because we think that we're better, but I don't want to be associated with something that the world calls spirits. Okay, even the world, if like you see old school bars, they put serving spirits. I only got, I only have room for one spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit in my life, right? And so in our culture today as Christians, we want to just say, oh, everything's allowed, 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 allowed. And, and we want to talk about like the rise of different drug addictions. But friends, like alcohol addiction has killed more people than opium has, okay? And we don't talk about it anymore as a church. We're like, oh, everything's okay and permissible and moderation, blah, blah, blah. But it's destroying lives. And so, man, what, how hard is it to, to take a, um, to stay away from things that you know are destructive to you, okay? And so alcohol, for me, like here recently since August, I feel like the Lord has had me step away from my favorite pastime called Netflix benching. <laughs> And so I, I've made a, a commitment to him to stay away from that first turn season. He, he, and he just told me, I've been doing it since August. I was just in prayer. And he just told me how long I'm supposed to go. And I'm like, really, Lord? <laughs> you know, it's not that I can't watch a show with my kids, but I can't hide away in my woman cave, as the kids call it, in my bedroom when I'm drained out and watch 100 shows of Netflix that usually has crap in it that's not feeding my spirit. For me, this, I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm saying for me, this is something that the Lord has put on my, I, my heart as a Nazarite vow. Back in the 90s when we got on fire for the Lord, man, we used to wear these bracelets. You know, oh, I should have wore mine today. I saw, I'm, I'm bringing it back. The WWJD. You got it? Look, look at this young person bringing it back. We was about your age. Put it up, okay, for those who don't know. WWJD. We want to look different. I'm not saying you have to go wear all Jesus t-shirts and your WWJD and put your bumper stickers on your car, but I, I'm saying it's okay to look different. Ooh, young people hate this one. <laughs> it's okay to be different. It's okay to be set apart because you're unique, because you are uniquely formed by God for his purpose, and so a nowadays way of uh, taking a Nazarite, I was, you know, look different, be set apart. I remember, um, let's see, like I said, when we were, we were young adults, the Lord, this is before I read, like, the, what was those books out back then, like, I Kissed Dating Goodbye and all that stuff. God had me before, this is before the I Kissed Dating Goodbye. God had me kiss Dating Goodbye, and my parents didn't tell me to do it. No one bought me a promise ring. It's because I felt the Lord said, you need to give that up to focus on me. It was three months, young people. It was so hard was so hard for three months. Three months. I got to the end of that three months, and God said, would you trust me for a year? A year? I was 19 years old. A whole year? <sighs> the number one way you stop growing in the Lord is when you stop saying yes. So I had to say yes. So I trusted him for that year. The end of that year, I felt like the Lord called me into ministry, and I went away to a Bible school. And guess what the first year student's rule was? No dating for a year. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord. By the time I got to the end of that year, I, I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to ever date again until I reveal to you who your husband is. I'm like, oh, Jesus, all right. I'm telling you, y'all see how good looking my kids are? I made them. All right, with his help, with his help. <laughs> I got 
to the end of that year, and I made a covenant with the Lord. I'm not going to date unless you tell me this is my husband. I remember I was at a big service. Um, it was like 3,000 people, and there was a guy who was up there prophesying over all the Bible students. And he's like, I just went up for refreshing. This is back when people still did altar calls. I'm running to the altar, and he's like, bless her, Lord. Bless her, Lord. He got to me. Bless her, Lord. And he's going down, South African guy. Then he came back. He was like, hold on. He said, you you and your husband's path have already crossed. You will begin married soon and do a great ministry together. I was like, hallelujah, Lord, I received that word. <laughs> I went down the list of everybody that was in Bible school. Like, is it him? Is it him? Come on. I mean, you're, you're t- I was 21 at this time. Is it him? Is it him? Is it him? You know, I already went two years. Is it him? It wasn't any of them. Josh and I had known each other for a couple years, but when I was away at Bible school, he was back home in our home church getting on fire for God, going to noon prayer and, and uh, being mentored by older men, older men of God and just getting on I had no idea. I came back. We interned together. That after Just a couple months after this prophecy, we interned together, just friends, right? Went, went through uh, the whole entire internship. The end of internship, kids camp came. Lord. Those raccoons were coming after me every night, so I had to wake up Josh to protect me. Long story short, we ended up um, talking on the phone, went from, do you like me? I'm the one who asked it. Ladies, we could be bold. And then but he did say no. I was like, okay, bye. He was like, wait, 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 wait. Do you like me? I'm a true Christian. I'm not going to lie. So I said yes. And he was like, oh, hold on. I do like you. I just thought you were going to tell me never to talk to you again. Supposedly I had a rep. No, I mean, whatever. <laughs> Long story short, man, I'm really, really getting sidetracked on these stories. Long story short, <laughs> we decided, oh, he asked me, am I the type of man that you can marry? Because we're not, I made a covenant to the Lord, the next person I'm dating is going to be my wife. I said, I made that same promise. We didn't even talk to each other about this. Went to our pastors. No one told us to do this. We did not read a blog. There were no blogs back then. And we did not read a book to tell us to do it. We went to our pastors like, do you see any red flags? He's like, nope, you guys will be good for each other. Went to our mentors. Do you see any red flags? No, you guys are going to be great together. Okay? And God actually gave us this ring. Josh can afford that at his UPS part-time job back then. <laughs> our pastor gave us this ring. Okay, and to say all that is to say this, that when you give up things because God tells you to give up things, he will bless you. But we have such a hard time giving up things and being set apart and looking different. I was looking crazy at UT campus wearing my little tiny diamond chip when when people are like, oh, are you a nun? No, I'm not a nun. What do you mean you're married to Jesus? I'm married to Jesus, but I'm not a nun. (laughs) I mean, we were, I looked crazy. But you have to just get to the place that you don't care. And guess what? As a, I don't like to say middle-aged woman almost middle-aged woman, I still look crazy because I have learned that I had to fix my eyes on the Lord, and sometimes that makes me look different. John the Baptist looked different. It's part of taking that vow. God is waking up people, young people, old people, middle-aged people, to say, you know what, I'm going to take a Nazarite vow. I'm going to do a kind of fasting. It may not be just a food fast. It, it may be there's something in your life that's been a distraction that you need to give up so that you can focus on him, and I'm guaranteeing you, if you listen to the Holy Spirit, don't just copy off of somebody else, but listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying for you to do. If you obey God, he will bless you. But we got to fix our eyes on God. That's how we hear him. We fix our eyes on him. Find you your focal point in Jesus. Amen. Woo, I was on that point for a long time. How to be focused in a world full of distractions. We've got to obey the call of God, even when it's hard. Mm. John the Baptist didn't live for the opinions of others 
but lived with compassion to see others brought to repentance to Christ. Many people followed John, came to hear him preach, but he didn't let that make him become proud and self-focused. He preached repentance of sins, pointing others to the Savior, and he knew uh, what he knew he needed to do. Deep humility and obedience characterized his life. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, John the Baptist lived solely to point others to Jesus, and he was obedient to God's purpose. When God tells us to give up something or when God tells us to focus on something, when we obey, then the blessings come. We want the blessings without the obedience, friends. We live in this society in the American church, bless me, bless me, bless me, and we don't want to obey to receive the blessings. God is calling us to obey because we love him. But this is the thing. If you are a man pleaser, I know because I was a man. I love people. So I fall into being man pleasing. I like everybody to like me. I like to be the center of attention at times. I like to make jokes. This is my personality. And I've had to learn to die to that personality so that God can really use it. Because when I become a man pleaser, then I'm not going to be obedient to God because I want to care about what other people around me think. And, friends, God has called us to be obedient to God. And that means we can't be people pleasers. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. John the Baptist was a servant of Christ, and he was obedient to the call of God, which was to point people to Jesus, and he learned to not be a man pleaser. Friends, let us learn from his example. So how to be focused in a world full of distractions. Find your focal point. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Obey him when he speaks to you. And then finally, cut out the distractions. Ooh, say this with me. Cut out the distractions. See, not only did John the Baptist take a Nazarite vow, but he lived a lifestyle as a Nazarene or as a Nazarite, and he continually denied himself. Not only was it that he ate locusts and, and honey and that he wore weird clothes, but see, he denied himself uh, being puffed up because he had a, a huge following, like the first megachurch by the Jordan River. Like tons of people were coming to be baptized by him. And yet he said that I must decrease and he must increase. He said of Jesus that he was not even worthy to tie his sandals, right? He was not even worthy. He, he put himself at the most lowest level servant position because back then the uh, Jewish people walked everywhere and their feet were really dirty, right? Jesus taught us the example when he washed his disciples' feet. And, and John said, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. And yet when Jesus came out of his wilderness, isn't it interesting when you look at John and Jesus, they both had wilderness experiences. You want to be focused on the Lord, God will take you through a wilderness. It's not always fun. So John lived in the wilderness before he started preaching at the Jordan River. And Jesus just went 40 days in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And as he comes out the 41st day, he goes and he gets baptized. And John is saying, no, I'm not even wor I'm not worthy. But Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness, I need you to do this. And John was obedient. Sometimes we don't feel worthy to do what God has called us to do, but we have to obey. And we have to uh, cut out all the, the noise, all the distractions. You know, John had to fight that noise of, oh, you know, uh, 
you're so great. People are saying, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? He's like, no, I'm the one who's going to prepare the way for the one. we got to be careful to cut out distractions, not just the, the things of the world, but the, the opinions of man. That's probably one of the biggest distractions that we have. We have to be like John the Baptist and say, he must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist grew in popularity, but he never lost sight of the mission to point people to Christ because he was careful to, to cut out the distractions. John the Baptist didn't let anything get in his way, but he kept his heart on Christ. He was concerned for God, not the things of the world. I love this verse in Galatians 5, 7, and 8. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Friends, we need to watch out for people. We need to watch out for things that cut in on our race. This whole thing, sidetrack, is we want to finish the race. We want to stay the course, and we must be careful to continue to say yes to God and say no to the worldly things. We need to be careful to say yes to God and his opinion on us, not man's opinion, because everybody is going to have an opinion. They had an opinion of John. The Bible says that some said that he was, a, uh, that he was um, demon-possessed, you know, because of how unique he was and how set apart he was. Sometimes people are going to be like, tell you that, that you're a little overboard with the things of Jesus, or you're, that's what they told me. You're going to, you know, or they're, they might make fun of you. And that's okay because God has called us to care about his opinion, not man's opinion. So cut out those distractions. Cut out those opinions and focus on him. How to be focused in a world full of distractions. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to obey when he speaks to us. We need to cut out those distractions. Cut them out. And we need to understand our purpose. This is where so many of us mess up. We live in a, a, a society, even in church, where everybody's focused on your why, your why, your why, your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And it's this big thing. I remember praying about it. I was like, I went through a season where the Lord actually told me to stop reading leadership books. And they were Christian authors, most of them. He's like, put them away. I was ready to burn them. I was so annoyed because nothing was working for me. And I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. It's not working. And I was like, I know my why and this and that. And he's like, it's not about your why, Joy. It's about your who. Who are you in me? He said, go deeper than your why and go to your who. A lot of people want, oh, why am I here? What is my purpose in this world? For, that's okay. But you need to go deeper and know your who because so many Christians do not know their identity in Jesus Christ. We live in a culture, and I, see it, I still minister to young people, um, and I see it with them all the time. We live in a culture that they do not understand who they are in Christ. We are raising our own Christian children to not know who they are in Christ. And we have to, we have to understand our best way of teaching our children who, to know who they are in Christ is we need to know who we are in Christ. So many of us are middle-aged people going through midlife crises still, right? Still don't know who we are in Christ. Still trying to keep up with the Joneses. Still trying to prove our worth. Still trying to hide behind our success. Hide behind our job. Hide behind our children. Hide behind everything. We put our identity in everything except for him. Our identity is in our marriage. Our identity is in our job. Our identity is in our, uh, where, we, where we live, in our state of life. What happens when those things are taken from us? Because sometimes they are. Then who are we? We have to know who we are. We have to understand our purpose. And understanding our purpose is first understanding our who, who we are in Christ. Well, John's mother, Elizabeth, was a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Kinda, they were basically cousins of some sort. 
The two women were pregnant at the same time. The Bible says in Luke 1, 41, that the two expectant women met. And the baby leaped within Elizabeth's womb as she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the angel Gabriel had already foretold the miraculous birth and prophetic ministry of John the Baptist to his father, Zechariah. The news of this joyous um, answer to prayer uh, was was spread around, right? John was to become the God-ordained messenger proclaiming the arrival of of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And God knew exactly when John needed to be born, though it didn't make sense to his parents at the time, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Friends, timing is so important to our who, who we are in Christ. A lot of times we can, you know, get the word from God, like David got the word that he was to be the anointed one and to be the king. But that took many, many years, what, 14 years before it actually happened. He had to fight the, uh, the lion and the bear and then the giant and still took some years before it happened. Oftentimes, we, in our quest of understanding who we are in Christ, God will give us a word, but where we mess up is we don't follow God's timing. We try to go in our own might to make it happen. And the Bible says, what it began in the spirit, don't finish in the flesh. Ooh, God told me to plant a church here in Waterville, but if it's not growing as fast as I can, I need to go out and make it happen myself instead of waiting on God. What if God wants to give you five years of being hidden before he does what he wants to do? Will you be faithful to be obedient to where he called you to be? That's what's hard, friends, because we know once we get the understanding of our who, then we have to get the understanding of understanding our purpose is understanding the timing of God. And he has us in different seasons. I know so many people say, oh, I hate that that word seasons is overused in the, in the church. Oh, there's my season for this and my season for that. Listen, God care about seasons so much that Jesus didn't just talk about seasons. He talked about hours, knowing the hour in which you are. Listen. We go through times of wilderness. We go through times of temptation. We go through times of heartache, times of hurt. But we have to understand our purpose by first knowing our who and then waiting on God. It's timing to fulfill it. John the Baptist had to do that, and even his parents had to do that. She was an older woman when she gave birth to John the Baptist. And, and yet she wanted to be pregnant, I'm sure, much earlier. And yet God knew the time he was to be born. Yeah. Like he spoke to Esther for such a time as this. And so here, here's John finally born because God's timing is perfect in the lives of his people. Amen. His timing's perfect. It may not be when we want it, but it's perfect. So John grew up strong in the spirit. He had parents that taught him the right thing. From young, from being young, he was taught, you are the one in the wilderness crying, prepare ye the way. Like he was taught who he was in Christ, right? Like some of us do. Like I tell my kids, like whatever you do, just know you're called. Because I told the Lord, I don't even want to birth any kids if I'm going to birth them and they're going to go to hell. Make me barren. I did say that when I was, we were kind of a, <laughs> a different, all or nothing, baby, extreme. Well, he gave me four, so they're called. They're called, right? And listen, friends, <laughs> we have to be so careful because the timing of God is so important in our life. And so here's John. His parents taught him well, but he had to decide himself if he was going to be obedient to the call. God has no grandchildren. We have to decide ourselves. He has children. Are we a child of God? Are we going to be obedient to the call? Are we going to know who we are? Are we going to walk in God's timing? So many are called, but few are chosen and few find their purpose and fulfill it. Be one of the few. 
John found his purpose. He spoke against corruption. He had such a wide sphere of influence. He spoke not only to the lost, he spoke to the religious leaders of the day, and he spoke to the governmental leaders of his day. So much so that he was like, I know my purpose. I'm the one who's called to point to Jesus. I'm a pointer, pointing to Jesus. That's what prophets are. They're pointers. They point to the Lord. And he's pointing to the Lord. He's pointing to Jesus saying, I'm going to decrease. He's going to increase. Jesus is the, look at him. He's the lamb of God, which takes away from the, uh, takes away the sins of the world. I'm pointing to him, but yet I'm still going to tell you, you need to get yourself right so that you can be ready for him. And he told Herod, you're a mess right now. This is in the joy translation. You're a mess. You're sleeping with your brother's wife. You need to get that together. Well, Herod didn't like to hear that. His, and his woman really didn't like to hear it. And so long story short, her daughter did a little dance. The dad said, oh, you can have whatever you want. She went back and talked to her mom and said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so, yeah, he was beheaded. He was the, he, that's what she wanted, and he was the first martyr in the Bible. And so he ended up getting beheaded. But before he was beheaded, he ended up being in prison. And this is where we're going to get into. So he had to understand his purpose to the point that he was willing to be obedient to the point of persecution. Ooh, we want to be obedient to the point of blessing, but forget being obedient to the point of persecution. <laughs> I'm so glad I got you in the front row. I mean, come on. We want the blessing, but forget the persecution. Forget the hard times. Forget going through the crap in life. Come on, somebody. And so here he is in jail, yet still understanding his purpose. So how to be focused in a world full of distractions? We need to get a focal point. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to be obedient to the calling. We need to cut out the distractions. Maybe some of you are called to take a Nazarite vow of some sort. We need to understand our purpose, which means understand your who before your why. Understand who you are in Christ. And then you can understand your why because in that who, there's going to be God's timing. And it's not going to always happen the way you want it to happen. And so here's John the Baptist saying, uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world, and now I'm in prison? And so his, this last point is he had to learn stamina. Ooh, I like that word. I practice saying it, like, a lot. <laughs> stamina. Yes, and I, stamina. Say it for me, Becca. Stamina. There you go. We need it. You know what that means? It means the ability to sustain prolonged physical or mental effort. I like to call it staying power. How to stay focused? We need staying power. <sighs> staying power. So this is the thing. He's in jail, John the Baptist. He's in jail. And he's like, what is going on? There's a scripture that says that he, he actually sent notice. It's right where, where it talks about in, in uh, Luke 11 where I was talking about Jesus saying that he was the greatest man ever born of woman. But anyone who obeys God is going to be even greater than he. Right? Well, right around in that context, John sends some of his disciples to find Jesus and said, are you really the one who is to come or is there another one coming? So he's in prison. He's starting to doubt himself. We don't really talk about that part in, in, in the story of John the Baptist. But let's, if I, <laughs> too often in the church, we want to preach about the strengths and not talk about people's weakness. And we are all human beings, including John the Baptist and including Josh and myself. We've had times of doubt. God, did you really call us out to Waterville? God, did you really call us to plant another church? God, did you really call us to start all the way over? 
God, did you really call us to marry this person? God, did you really call me to this business? God, did you really call me to raise these kids? God, did you really call me to see it through? And because we don't have stamina, because we don't have staying power, we give up right before the breakthrough happens. And so here's John the Baptist. But you know what? He did what you're supposed to do when you doubt. Because every single young person, every single old person in here, every single, every single person, we're going to go through stages of doubt. And he did what every Christian should do when they have doubt come into their mind. He went to the, his focal point. He went back to Jesus. Are you really the one? Are you really going to do what you said you're going to do? There's been times in my life, in my walk, in my ministry where I'm like, had a God, is this really going to happen the way you said it's going to happen? Because right now, it doesn't look like it. Right now, it looks like we're going to be in this event center forever. <laughs> Stacking chairs every single Sunday. <laughs> and right when I'm ready to quit and we go on vacation, somebody else found this building. And you all raised the money for it before we even got back. But what if we would have quit before we went on vacation? Before the breakthrough. God has to give us staying power through the hard times. So we have to go to Jesus when we doubt. John went to Jesus. And Jesus said, yes. Look, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The gospel's being preached to the poor. He quoted, he went back to Isaiah. This is the gospel for the, for the poor, the good news for the broken. And, and John built up his courage to the point that he became the first martyr in the Bible, the, in the New Testament. The Bible says a lot of people, scholars will say, oh, no, Stephen was the, uh, the, or Stephen was the first martyr um, in, in the book of Acts. No, John was the first martyr for Jesus lost his very life because he was faithful to the end. One of my heroes that some of most of you probably don't know, her name is Juanita. She raised all of her kids in the old South End neighborhood, five of them, and every single one of them became preachers. She was an old lady, could barely get up the stairs, our handicap building, uh, handicap accessibility in, in South Toledo is on again, off again. And so she, <laughs> to say the least, but yet she found her way coming into that church um, Every time she possibly could, and she would pray, and she would say, people need to learn how to pray through joy. And she was just a little, tiny, little old lady, and she would pray through, and she would still get up and worship. And I was like, I'm going to be like her. I'm not going to grow old and grow cold. I'm going to say, I'm gonna have, my fire is going to increase the older I get. And she would be up there, and she would be doing these little numbers, worshiping in the front of the altar, saying, can I, can I share a word? And she would always get up and encourage people on the Lord. And the Lord took her home when she was 80 years old, and she had five preachers one already went before her. Her daughter already died. And, I, and she would tell me, I want, you to do my, I want you to do my funeral when I die. And I'm like, okay, Miss Juanita. And I'm thinking to myself, you got four preacher sons. I'm not doing it. And, and big, big preachers in um, the church of God and all over the, the country. And so I didn't think I really was going to have to. But sure enough, she told her sons that too. And so we did a funeral. <laughs> and it was not a funeral. It was a church service in our South And it was packed 
full of people. And we just talked about her life and her, the staying power that we learned from her. And people got up, and she had grandkids that were in the ministry worshiping the Lord together. And it was one of the most beautiful things. After that, people made false reports about how I'm really great at funerals, but I really am not that great. It was, I got to talk about a great woman who learned the staying power of God. John the Baptist learned the staying power of God. He lost his head. He lost his life, but he was the first of the martyrs that was underneath the throne of God, the book of Revelations talk about. The best place in heaven. Sometimes we might have the worst place here on earth, but yet the best place in eternity. And we're so focused on earthly things that we don't have the mindset of eternity. Friends, we got to change that. We got to get focused on Jesus to fulfill the great commission in our lifetime. We've got to get focused on God to fulfill our purpose on this earth. And that is to magnify his name and to point others to Jesus, friends. That's every single one of our purposes. And we need the staying power of God to do it. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Jesus, you are so worthy. You are so worthy, Lord Jesus. God, in this series, as we're talking about being sidetracked, God, we don't want to just talk about the things that get us off focus, but we want to talk about how to focus on you how to find our focal point in you, how to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, how to be obedient even in hard times like John the Baptist was, even when people want to puff us up and make us greater than what we really are. Let us be like John the Baptist to say, I must decrease and he must increase. Help us cut out the distractions, cut out the things that distract us. Let us take those Nazarite vows, these nowadays vows of, of being set apart and not being afraid to be different. God, let us understand our purpose by understanding who we are in you, understanding who you are in this world. And God, give us that staying power, that stamina, Lord God, that makes us stay strong to the end because he who stands firm to the end will be saved. God, I pray that you would raise up uh, nowadays prophets in this place, Lord God, that would be so radically in love and on fire for you that we would not care what we look like but we would just care about people knowing you because there's lost people all around that don't know you. There's people who think that their money's given them security, that their jobs, their family, and, and all these things that could be good, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is you, Jesus. Change our hearts, Lord. Change our hearts, Lord. Bring conviction to what where conviction needs to be. Jesus. Right now, I just believe there's some people that the Lord put something on your heart that you need to give up for the Lord that you, for a season. Maybe it, maybe it was like me. He's only telling you three months for right now or three weeks. But let's just take some time right now just to quiet ourselves, close our eyes before him. If there's something that he's put on your heart to cut out of your life or even for just a season, would you raise your hand if that's you? If there's something that you know that's been a distraction in your life that you need to cut out of your life for just a season, would you raise your hand? Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. There's some of you that's in this place that, uh, that you also feel like you're in that, season of just really wanting to discover who you are in Christ. You've put your identity in other things. Maybe you put your identity in your job, your family. It could even be good things, but you know that you need to discover who you are in Jesus. Would you just raise your hand before the Lord? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. It's all around, all around. Jesus. 
We don't do this every week, but today I feel led to do it. Like John the Baptist who, who called out to people to, to come and, and to get baptized. And, and, and baptism is just a sign that you're dying to that old life and that you're living a new life. I want to give an altar call today. If you've raised your hand and you know uh, that you need to understand who your identity is in Christ, maybe there's some things to, that you need to cut out, would you just come stand up here? We have some oil that we would like to just anoint you and just pray for you. Don't, don't be afraid or intimidated. There was tons of you who raised your hand. Would you just come stand right up here, right up here at this, in the front of the chairs? Everyone needs compassion. Love that's dead.